Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When we think of paleontology, we think of dusty-faced scientists crouching over a gaping hole in the dirt. We think of sunlight gently illuminating a creature that has not been seen in millions of years. What we don't think about is crime. Real science is not like the movies. You don't find any cloned dinosaurs wreaking havoc across an island theme park in our day, but that doesn't mean an area like paleontology is free from controversy. Eric Procopi should know. He was one of the field's most controversial figures to date. He started collecting fossils and animal remains from a young age, diving for shark teeth in Florida when he was only 10 years old. His parents, however, quickly grew tired of his hobby. For one thing, they were running out of room to store it all. They told him that if he wanted to keep anything, he had to start unloading some of his collection. Prokopi turned to auction houses and the internet, where he would sell fossils to the highest bidder. Then he would funnel that money into acquiring and reselling bigger and better items. By 2012, Prokopi had graduated from shark teeth all the way up to dinosaur skeletons. One such item had come into the fossil hunter's hands, and he was looking for a buyer. It was a skeleton belonging to the Tyrannosaurus batar, a relative of the Tyrannosaurus rex that had lived in Mongolia millions of years ago. It was a part of the world that had been a hotbed of paleontological activity since famous scientist Roy Chabon Andrews first discovered fossils in the region during the 1920s. Prokopi brought the skeleton from Mongolia into Great Britain before having it shipped to the United States. However, he declared it on U.S. customs forms as having originated in the United Kingdom, not Mongolia. Once it landed in America, it didn't take long for a buyer to emerge, and Prokopi set up a sale for the dinosaur's bones in New York. It seemed everything was going fine until Mongolian officials got the word of the impending sale. They stepped in and filed a restraining order, putting a halt to the transaction. According to their records, Prokopi had not come to the possession of the Tyrannosaurus skeleton legally. It had been stolen. The Constitution of Mongolia stated that any dinosaur fossil found within the country's borders were automatically deemed culturally significant and must be authorized by removal by the government. Prokopi had never sought government approval. Instead, he had just smuggled the skeleton out of the country with the goal of a major payout. Dr. Bolar Minjin, a Mongolian paleontologist, was the person who had recognized the skeleton as having belonged to her home country, and not to the United Kingdom, as had been previously stated. Prokopi claimed that it was impossible to know where the specimen had come from exactly, as the same species of dinosaur had also been discovered in China. His protests didn't matter in the end, though, and he was arrested in October of 2012 for smuggling the Tyrannosaurus batar skeleton, as well as two others, without prior authorization. Prokopi was known to have an eclectic list of clients. These included celebrities and high-powered lawyers who paid top dollar for rare fossils, which they would put on display in their homes and businesses. In fact, a Tyrannosaurus batar skull was sold back in 2007, to someone who even beat out Leonardo DiCaprio for the privilege of owning it, Though Prokopi was not believed to have participated in the sale, the gallery it was purchased from had bought items from him in the past. And the owner of such a special item 
It was none other than actor Nicolas Cage, who had starred in two hit films about a famous treasure hunter. He didn't know the skull was stolen at the time. Homeland Security explained the story behind its provenance, and the actor agreed to relinquish it back to Mongolia where it belonged. The skull was so much more than a collector's item or a piece of home decor. It had been an important part of Mongolia's past. And like Nicolas Cage to America, it was truly a national treasure. Every living thing has a story to tell us. Its life is comprised of joy and sorrow, success and failure. However, the stories don't end when a thing dies. For one particular creature, there's still quite a lot to say. Moby Dick, Herman Melville's epic tale of revenge, starts in the city of New Bedford, Massachusetts. The narrator, Ishmael, goes there to join a whaling vessel seeking adventure. From there, he befriends the South Pacific chieftain who accompanies him on his journey aboard the Pequod, which is led by the one-legged captain, Ahab. Melville's novel eventually solidified the author as one of the great American novelists of his day, and illustrated New Bedford's importance to the whaling industry of the 18th and 19th centuries. However, the Pennsylvania oil rush of 1859 put whaling and New Bedford on notice. Petroleum was now a readily available resource, and could be used to heat lamps, make candles, and do everything that whale oil had been doing for hundreds of years. The city pivoted to other industries to stay alive, including manufacturing and fishing, but whaling would still remain an important part of its history. So important, in fact, that in 1903, a journalist named Ellis L. Howland proposed a museum to be built to preserve the remains of New Bedford's past. Oil magnate Henry Huddleston Rogers agreed, and three years later he donated a bank building for such a purpose. In 1907, the New Bedford Whaling Museum opened to the public, and over the next two decades it would grow in both size and number of exhibits on display. Tourists from all over came to visit, especially in 1936, when the first of five complete whale skeletons made their debut. They called it Quasimodo, a fitting name for a humpback whale that had died in 1932. As time passed and the museum continued to increase its offerings, more skeletons found their way to New Bedford, including a 30-year-old sperm whale measuring 48 feet long and a 49-foot whale named Reina, as well as her unborn baby and the biggest skeleton of the bunch, Kobo. Kobo, or King of the Blue Ocean, was a 66-foot-long blue whale that had been struck by a tanker in 1998. Blue whales were already endangered when the accident occurred, with roughly 500 still living in the North Atlantic. After it was struck and killed, the whale's carcass was studied by various research facilities, with pieces of it being sent all over the globe for examination. As part of Kobo's necropsy, it was discovered that he had been involved in another accident, one that had broken his jaw and left a deep gash in the bone. The skeleton that remained was given to the new Bedford Whaling Museum, which carried out a thorough cleaning process to get it ready for display. Experts separated it and placed the various bone pieces into 22 separate cages. These cages were then submerged into the harbor to let fish and other creatures nibble away at the remaining flesh, saving museum volunteers from the hassle. The cages were then removed from the water five months later, and the skeleton was brought to the museum's courtyard to lay under the cleansing light of the sun. It took a while, but the bones eventually dried out, and museum officials started assembling the skeleton for display. 
Unfortunately, they had another problem on their hands. Whale oil. Whales had been harvested all those years ago for a reason. They produced a lot of oil. And Kobo was no exception. His bones were so coated in oil they had yellowed and started to smell. To counteract the oil's effects, the skeleton was treated with a solution normally used to cure leather. And it worked. The bones lost both their yellow color and their odor, and were soon hung in the museum's lobby. Kobo now greeted visitors from high above the front doors. But people are warned to keep an eye out, because although he's been dead for the last 20 years and is now nothing but a skeleton, Kobo's remains still produce oil, which drips from his bones onto a platform below. Seeing the educational value in the oil, the museum gathers it into a beaker to teach people about whale oil and its many properties, while Kobo just sort of hangs around. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.